I'm Satya Nelms and this is Our Mother's Gardens. On this show, we discuss the seeds our mother sowed in us, the ways we have grown, and how we learn to blossom. In this space, Black women that have learned to define success on their own terms share stories of their beginnings, healing, and thriving. Welcome and thank you for being a part of this community of mamas, grandmamas, aunties, sisters, cousins, daughters, and friends. Today we are in the garden with Sarah Makiba Days. Sarah Makiba is a griot, shaper, shapeshifter, infinite space and time traveler, daughter of the South. As an Afrofuturist, cultural history interpreter, public historian and writer, Sarah Makiba's work connects past, present and future in accessible, healing and liberating ways. Her research and praxis include Gullah Geechee folk, hoodoo, womanism, black feminism, speculative fiction, queerness, sexual freedom, pleasure, magic, healing, black affirmations, and the power to imagine and manifest better worlds. A former tour guide at McLeod Plantation Historic Site and a living historian with the Slave Dwelling Project, Sarah Makiba's Sankofa shadow work brings her to many sacred, painful spaces. She finds joy and restoration in her ancestors, plants, water, words, laughter, music, and Black folk. So, to start off with this evening, I would like to ask you, what is a mother? When you hear the word mother, what does that bring to mind for you? What does it make you think of? What meaning does that word hold for you? Mm-hmm. All right. Mother, for me, brings to mind nurturing. It brings to mind like a container, actually, like holding space, creating space. Mm-hmm. Uh, it brings to mind expansiveness, um, safety, protection. Mm-hmm guidance um and it's it's expansive in that it can look all kind of different ways i'm I'm thinking more about how how it feels right uh what mother what 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 the word feels like and what the relationship feels like mm-hmm. um which i feel like holds space for all the myriad of ways that that mothers can manifest mm-hmm. in your life so yeah um yeah. and like i like model like possibility models in terms of just all the different ways one could be in the world Mm -hmm. and and so thus all all the myriad of ways one could mother um even beyond biologically Mm -hmm. what 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 giving birth what creating what guiding and nurturing what it is you have created and birthed into the world Mm -hmm. um and sharing sharing the burden of survival Dana, the People's Oracle, talks a lot about what what that means and what it means to be in community with people and sharing the burden of survival. And so when I think Mm. about mothering, it is um, those committed to to covering and and, and holding space for creating safety for. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And what has been most, I guess, influential in the development of your sense of what it is 
to be a mother or what it means to mother or what that word means? Where did this understanding come from for you? Uh, definitely first and foremost, my own mother. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I have, I've always known that she's loved me unconditionally. There's mm-hmm. never not a time I didn't know that. There's never not a time that I didn't know that there was nothing that I could do mm-hmm. for which that, she, that, that, that would make her not love me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that there was no, and that, that she would, that, that my safety was her priority. Mm-hmm. Uh, that she would protect me. I knew that from a very, very young age. And um, growing up and getting older and now at, at a place where we are very good friends, um, and in particular where she is caring for her own mother, who she had a very challenging relationship uh, mm-hmm. throughout her life, throughout my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and now my grandmother has dementia. She's living with my parents. And... Um, one, witnessing witnessing those changes, witnessing the learning and healing and pain mm. in, in this particular cycle and um, sort of intergenerational communal space. Um, but the reality that my mom made particular and conscious choices uh, to raise me differently and to hold a different space for me and to create a space for me that she did not have. Mm. Um, that it was a choice to do that, not so much. And, and and to acknowledge that she had certainly other other mother figures in her life, but it wasn't so much as her mother showed her what she what what she wanted to do as much as I'm not going to do this. Right. I'm going to do something different. And um so yeah, I I it is certainly my relationship with my own mom as well as again like the, the the intergenerational feeling with my grandmother, mm-hmm. um, but just the multitude of mother figures, people, um, old, I, in particular older women, but I, I don't necessarily think motherhood has to be gendered in that way. Mm-hmm. And um, but certainly in my life, um, older black women um, and aunts and just people in the community, mentors. I used to say that I collected mentors mm. in the sense that I I wasn't shy about seeing um, an older, particularly an older black person and being like, oh, you seem like you could teach me something. <laughs> Hello, I'm Sarah. <laughs> and um, Sarah's like, please care for me. I'm in a new environment. <laughs> and it was really, I think back now, based on the community that I grew up with, like, I, I yes, I know that I need I need a multitude of um, of older folks around me, of folks who can offer guidance and insight, mm-hmm. and um, I, I will seek you out. Uh, so, yeah, in terms of just the ways people have held space for me, protected me the best ways they know how, I, um, I was even just thinking about my own, my paternal grandmother, my grandma mm-hmm. Kathleen days, and how she warned me at one point I think maybe I was in high school and I bent over in front of her and my short my shirt just like came up mm-hmm. and so you could see my back mm-hmm. and she was so upset and essentially was just like you know men will hurt you mm-hmm. and I remember being so frustrated by that and, you know just all the ways mm-hmm. <laughs> like feeling policed you know yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um 
even even before now, I had had the awareness like what kind of violence has my had my grandmother experienced to to say to say that to me, right. let alone like the the violence that I have experienced, you know. Right. But sitting with today, the reality like oh my god, yeah, every generation has just been protecting us the best way they could. Mm. Um, nurturing, doing the best that they could with what they had and what what they saw and what they believed that we were capable of, what they believed we were responsible for, mm-hmm. and um, you know, sometimes everybody's best wasn't wasn't good enough. You know, some 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 of us are healing from from folks' best, and some folks wasn't trying their best. All of that is true. Yeah. Um, but in terms of yeah, the, the reality, even that that motherhood is not just about like just good times. Right. It's not. It's not a monolithic experience. It's not. Right. It's not that. Right. Um. Yeah, it's not that either. It is. It's full and expansive and can look a lot of different ways. And I think that there is um a lot of space for our generation, um, in collaboration with previous generations, and certainly with the choices we're making in relationship with those coming after us to mm-hmm. really expand our ideas of motherhood and community and nurturing and holding space um, mm-hmm. to create safety, like to, you know, really imagine what it is for us to be safe, all of us to be safe, because mm-hmm. I think that mothering has a lot to do with that. And I think, you know, as you said, there's so much healing that can happen just in the recognition that folks were doing their best. Mm-hmm. And that just because someone was doing their best doesn't mean that mm-hmm. you didn't deserve better. Yeah. And allowing space for both of those things, for it not mm-hmm. to be a they were doing their best, but I deserve right. better, but a they were doing their best and, and yes. I still deserve better. Yes, yes, and I am hurt, and I am angry, and and all of that is so real, and and deserves the space, mm-hmm. not not something to be hidden or or shameful about, as if there is one right way, one as if there's one right way to be in relationship, period. But as if there's mm-hmm. one right quote unquote healthy way to be in relationship in this white supremacist patriarchal capitalist society that we live in, <laughs> right. You know, it's it's wild shit going on here. Right. (laughs) We are wading through multiple systems. Yes. Yes. A month. Yes. Yes. At at a given time. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So when you think about who you are and your unique being and spirit, what do you think in the way in which you were mothered, what was aligned with who you are in particular and what do you wish had been done differently or what was challenging for you? Wow. Great question. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Huh. Okay. So very much my mother both of my parents but as it relates to my mother um they say there was no way that they couldn't just let me be myself like I just came here myself and I came here (laughs) old and and they just had to respect it Mm -hmm. but in turn I respect it I respect that I, I I was born to or I chose 
these people and particularly my, my relationship with my mother to be born through these people who were like, yeah, be yourself. We'll, we'll, we'll honor, we'll honor how you show up. And also particular being born to storytellers, being born to mm-hmm. griots. Mm-hmm. Um, so a particular lineage and a particular work, um, a particular connection to spirit and ancestry and ritual and song and story and community. Mm. Um, yeah. And I, I know all of that was very on purpose, like you said, aligned. Mm-hmm. Um, like a lot, a lot went into, <laughs> went into the, uh, the union. <laughs> and, um, uh, so yeah. Um, what was the second half of the question? What was challenging for you about the way that you were mothered, the way that you were raised? So uh, I would say um, my parents are both performers. Mm-hmm. And um, as a child, when I was, when me and my brother were children, my parents, Ron and Natalie, starred on Nick Jr.'s Gullah Gullah Island. And we did that sh- television show from... I want to say 94. My brother was born in 93. So 94 to 98. I think that's how long we filmed. Uh, part of the year, we would go to Orlando, Florida. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of the casts, the kids on the cast, we had a tutor. Mm-hmm. Um, and other part of the year, we were home. Um, I attended a Montessori school, which is a, if you're familiar with Montessori, it's yes. very like hands-on learning, mm-hmm. you know, um, very quote-unquote diverse cultural, uh, <laughs> cultural, cultural class. Right. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, we finished that. I know I was eight years old and we finished Gullah Gullah Island and my parents made the choice to return um, back to the community, Beaufort, South Carolina, where my dad is from, where um, they had been raising us. Mm-hmm. And... As an eight-year-old child, as an as an eight-year-old black girl starting public school, mm. it was interesting to realize how other people perceived us mm. because we had been on television. Mm. And it was very, you know, to me, this this is this is what my parents do. And not only is this what my parents do, but my parents had been storytellers and griots and performers mm. and oral historians before. They had been performing um, in schools and colleges and festivals. And so how how normal it was to me was not obviously how normal it was. That wasn't what it was to anybody else. Right. And yeah, the uh, I'm still grappling with today the lessons I learned then um, about how to make myself small for the comfort of other people. Mm. Uh, a lot of my peers who were really just like regurgitating things that they were hearing from their parents in terms of what they perceived of my parents mm. and what what they thought we had and what they thought we thought about themselves. I was a very shy, quiet child and my, my shyness was perceived as like being really stuck up and obviously I had to be stuck up because we were on television mm. and... That stuff was really heavy, even in in terms of just all the things I learned about blackness at that time. Like, that was my first, uh, that's how I learned about colorism. Eight years old, (laughs) you know, classism, all these different things about what it means to be black, what it means to be desirable. Mm -hmm. 
you know, stay out the sun. I, I, that's when I learned people stayed out the sun during mm. the summer because they didn't. It was wild, wild things to learn at eight. That's why yeah. I have lots of theories about black childhood at eight years old. But yeah, th- those things were challenging. There was no way to anticipate mm-hmm. that. And I think the decision largely was, okay, we're going to go back to the community we're from to be grounded in. Mm-hmm. And in hindsight, there's so much grounding and, and, and love that that, I, that was also nurtured um, mm-hmm. in the Gullah Geech community where I grew up. But in terms of, yeah, how, how, how choices impacted me as a child and how even today... You know, just talking about being scared to start a podcast or, or right. being scared to embrace the fact that I know enough to teach mm-hmm. is a lot about being fully myself makes other people upset. So don't do that. Mm-hmm. And leaning leaning into who I am, <laughs> leaning into my foundation is not fair um, mm-hmm. because there are people who do not have a foundation like that. So it's interesting, you talked about how at home, your parents, your your mother, but both of your parents really encouraged you and gave you the space to be yourself. Mm-hmm. But outside the home, you, once you were eight, once you were eight and you guys moved back, that didn't feel, com- it didn't feel comfortable to be yourself outside of the home. So, um, yeah, I think. Definitely. The the messaging outside was just very different. It's funny, like, I remember in college being really surprised. I was taking African-American studies classes. I was like, oh, my God, Dad, if you're Gullah Geechee, that means I'm Gullah Geechee, too. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize it before. It it makes a lot more sense to me now, just in the sense that outside of my home, nobody was articulating anything particular about that, 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 that. African diasporic culture. Mm. People within these communities weren't at the time walking around saying I'm Gullah Geechee. Mm. So that's things I can be aware of now. More broadly, though, yes, um, I just think, yeah, around eight years old is when I started getting messaging about what it, wow, how to conform. Mm-hmm. How how to be part of, of the in group? What what was cool to do? What was not cool to do? What right. what was funny? What wasn't funny? Again, what was desirable uh, as as it relates to to skin color? As it relates mm-hmm. to body shape? As it relates to hair type and texture? Mm-hmm. Um, as it relates to how you speak? I, I also became aware, um, <laughs> like my friends. My friend's parents would code switch around my parents. Mm. And and I didn't have the language for code switching, obviously, in middle school and high school. I just knew <laughs> that my friend's parents was talking one way. And then when my parents came around, they was talking like they was white people. <laughs> <laughs> and that's really, you know, that's trippy shit to witness, right. um, particularly because my parents are not white. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> um, but like as it related to how people perceived them, mm-hmm. um, and they didn't, they didn't, they didn't act like that. They didn't speak like they didn't code switch around me. Which, right. but uh, yeah, certainly, yeah, just learning that there were particular ways you were supposed to be. There were things that it was cool to like. There were things that it wasn't cool to like. Um, and I still, you know, I had friends in school. I, I, I found. 
found high school particularly traumatic, but I just find, I find youth in America traumatic. It's more more traumatic than it has to be, obviously. But Mm. anyway, yeah, I definitely feel like while my parents nurtured a certain type of awareness and um, internal invalidation, internal validation as well as spiritual validation, not even just while while I think like everything was framed in Christianity, there was certainly so much African spirituality, spiritual practices, and ancestral ancestral reverence and elevation mm-hmm. and veneration regularly, mm-hmm. all the time that was nurtured and very normal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't even say that maybe that was unique. I don't know, but yeah, that that was very much happening. And then outside, it was like, yeah, this is what it means. This is what you're gonna do. Mm-hmm. This is how you look cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't say this. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Try to look like this. Don't like this person. You should be doing this. All of the above. Mm. Yeah. So, what did the knowledge that you two? Were Gullah Geechee, how did that affect your sense of self and sense of identity? So, again, I didn't have the acknowledgement until um, until undergrad. Mm. I Prior to that, I had a very sort of limited understanding. I knew my dad was Gullah. I knew my dad could speak Gullah. Mm-hmm. He's the youngest of nine children. All of his siblings did not speak Gullah, in fact. Mm. None of them did. Um, my grandmother, his mother, was a um, a graduate of Penn School on St. Helena Island. She graduated class in 1933. Mm-hmm. So certainly that school intentionally taught the language out of its students mm-hmm. um, for, the pur- for the purposes. Penn was largely... <laughs> it was largely a colonization project. Mm-hmm. But it was also... It... it, it it was transformative in many ways, mm-hmm. but it it was it was these white missionaries coming from the north to see if that the 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 formerly enslaved could be citizens, mm-hmm. um, and so it, the language was intentionally taught out while fostering other things, and so there are reasons that people speak different ways, but in terms of. My parents are storytellers and they do this particular work. And I know my dad is Gullah Geechee. I also know that Gullah people speak a certain way and they also live on one side of the bridge. That's really the concept I had. I didn't even realize. I, I, I was, my, my understanding was so limited. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so, of course, I'm not Gullah because I live in Buford. Gullah Geechee people live on the island, which is on the other side of the bridge, right. even though throughout 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 the territory throughout and um didn't even know about like in terms of the corridor the Gullah Geechee Cultural Heritage Corridor wasn't established as a, a federal corridor until 2006 but in terms of there being other Gullah Geechee communities I had no awareness of that either mm-hmm. and a place as small as Buford like we would travel to Savannah and Charleston to shop mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't have any concept that that these were other communities similar to mine mm. again or that i was even part of the Gullah community because <laughs> i didn't speak it mm. um and so yeah it was african-american studies courses that somehow gave me this epiphany and since then i had been wondering well really what does it mean to be a Gullah person mm-hmm. now um when so much of the narrative has been what it was historically the historic definition 
They are the descendants of enslaved Western, Western Central Africans who were brought from these particular regions to these particular regions to do this particular work. They preserved this. They created this language. Many of them do these things. Mm-hmm. And that has been the, the, the longstanding definition. Mm-hmm. And so for many people, it is un- it has been understood as like a slave culture or a cu- culture that, that, that froze in slavery and or reconstruction. Mm-hmm. And so people are expecting, they have an, a mental image of, yeah, like formerly enslaved people. Mm-hmm. Um, and work, and in a particular type of agricultural work. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been interesting <clears throat> um, engaging with other uh, contemporaries, um, seeing how many folk identify uh, with the culture beyond beyond the language, beyond the ways the stories have been told to us previously, mm-hmm. really intentionally um, recognizing how much of the cultural interpretation has been to a white audience mm-hmm. or based on questions that white people are asking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we not we not understanding fully who we are like we can we can only do that Mm -hmm. (laughs) only we can ask the real questions Mm -hmm. um and get to what it is and who we are and what it is we're nurturing and fostering and how it is we actually got here Mm -hmm. um as opposed to the very rigid understanding of in particular who Gullah people are where they live how they speak what they do Mm -hmm. um because because we live everywhere (laughs) and the diaspora is big Mm -hmm. and um and even as it relates to migration, because that's something that interests me as well. Um, yeah, black people just move all over the place for all kinds of reasons, in part in particular because of, of white terrorist violence. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, who's to say exactly where an ancestor was, when and why in, in this country, let alone throughout the diaspora based right. on our movement. And so we have far more connections um and points of understanding. Uh, so that that's exciting. That that changes how I think about myself. And just as a, I mean, I, I, I have a lot of pride in um, Gullah Geechee cultural identity. I, I have a lot of pride in being black. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Largely, I'm, I'm just proud to be um, a descendant of, uh, of Africa and like, and am and, and excited for continued connections for us to realize how vast we are and um, mm-hmm. who we are and ask questions that, yeah, make exciting things happen. Mm-hmm. So how does this embracing of your Gullah Geechee heritage how does it or does it at all affect your understanding of what it is to mother and what that means? Mm. Has one affected the other at all? Cool question. <laughs> Let's see. Okay. So, um, a few things. My mother is was born and raised in upstate new york she was born in rochester new york mm-hmm. she and her siblings are a generation removed from um uniontown alabama my mm-hmm. grandfather and his siblings moved from uniontown alabama to um 
Buffalo, mm -hmm. New York, after my great-grandfather. Some white people found his moonshine distillery, so he had to get out of town real quick. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> his family slowly migrated at them. And so, yeah, I just think it's always important to point out that a lot of us were migrating because of white violence. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, my mother has always been really... Uh, um, intentional about pointing out that she is not Gullah, that she is not, she was not born within that area. Mm -hmm. Um, and interestingly enough, my Nana, my mother's stepmother told me that my mother's grandmother used to work indigo mm -hmm. in Alabama. Mm -hmm. And it was very interesting to learn this because as far as I knew, indigo wasn't cultivated in Alabama. But I just knew that black people and, again, enslaved people in particular were moved around and moved around for all kind of reasons. So who's to say where my mother's grandmother learned to do indigo? It could have been from any of those for any other part of the South that we would associate with Gullah people and history and heritage. Additionally, I later found out that um, a lot of slave owners migrated from South Carolina and Georgia when they were expanding throughout the West. Mm -hmm. um, so, yes, they ended up in Alabama and they brought their enslaved people who had already been working in Georgia and South Carolina. A lot of those people were populating the uh, the, uh, the enslaved population in Alabama. Mm -hmm. So all those were connections that were interesting to me and made sense. As it relates to Gullah Geechee culture in particular, I think that... <clears throat> There is a lot of ritual and spirituality and magic that does indeed cultivate safety, mm -hmm. um, that it does indeed cultivate nurturing, that does indeed um, acknowledge and honor all of the natural resources and how we can engage them intentionally. Um, yeah, to, to, to manifest what it is we need, what it is we desire, what it is we want, what it is we hope for and imagine. Mm -hmm. And so I certainly relate that to m mothering, I guess, and mm -hmm. creation. Mm -hmm. um, I think about, also shout out to Little Juju Podcast. That's where I learned a lot about mm -hmm. hoodoo in particular and mm -hmm. was able to see the presence of hoodoo in my own life and connected back to all the stories I've heard growing up, all the things I witnessed growing up that one I feel like I only had a particular context for at least as it relates to language in my house nobody outside of my house was like this is Gullah look mm. we're about to do some hoodoo things you know <laughs> nobody <laughs> nobody was doing that right. but um so being able to to now have those lenses and look back and see the types of community practices we were engaging in that I actually grew up witnessing as well as what I know about um, slavery and post-slavery post communities, in particular as it relates to birth workers and midwives and root workers and mm -hmm. healers um, and um, seers and intuitives and just people, not always women, but largely um, often are often not not necessarily not cishet men, mm -hmm. um, but largely it wasn't it was certain, it wasn't limited. But the roles that we played to nurture community, mm -hmm. roles that we that that we would play without colonization, mm -hmm. right? It's not <laughs> because that that those are the things that we do, and certainly it is how we have survived so long um, in this continuous onslaught of 
violence mm-hmm. but in terms of that that mothering role the community that that everybody has a role that regardless of who gave birth to a person right. multiple people are needed to share the, the the burden of survival are needed to share their particular gifts mm. um are needed to to nurture someone to hold space for someone to celebrate with someone to um and and we and and, and many of us can be holding we can be doing those roles right Right. So how do you nurture and mother yourself? How do I? Um, I spend, I spend a lot of time forgiving myself, Mm. um, because I do, uh, gratefully have such a positive, uh, relationship or friendship with my mom. Mm -hmm. I do, um, spend time thinking about seeing myself the way that she sees me. Mm. Remember there was a time she told me we were talking about God and hell mm-hmm. and not really believing in hell, being believing in being damned to hell. And she was saying that supposedly uh, her understanding of God was that God loved us. God loved me more than she, my own mother loved me. Like God's love for mm-hmm. us is bigger and there's no way that she, my mother, would damn me to hell. So she can't figure out how a God that supposedly loves us way more than she loves me would do that. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I try, I try to hold that space for myself. Mm. Um, yeah. Like I'm enough. I, uh, I am good enough. I am. I'm never not worthy of love. Um, I try to celebrate myself, uh, spend time with the younger versions of myself that still hold so much shame and regret and resentment and embarrassment and, um, mm-hmm. and just like taking on, taking on other people's shit. Yeah. Trying to forgive myself for all of that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, show up for myself in the ways that I I have been known to show up for so many, mm-hmm. um, and pour into myself in that same way. And I will say, it's getting better. It's getting kind of cool. So mm-hmm. <laughs> keep keep leaning into to the the continued mothering of myself. But yeah, it looks like a lot of grace. Mm-hmm. It looks like um, touching myself like I love myself. Mm-hmm letting myself cry it looks like writing in my journal which I do very regularly I am um, Mm -hmm. proud of myself to say but it also looks like actually rereading that shit Mm. (laughs) that's that's its own part of the process going back into it so um, yeah that's that's the thing because that uh, again that time travel allows me to hold space for younger versions of myself as in the version of me that I was yesterday Right. Or a few months ago, right. um, or years ago, I've been revisiting some journals. Certainly throughout this year, this has been such a wild year. But even just right. 2019, 2018, 2017, I look back, I'm like, whoa, Sarah, check you out. <laughs> 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 You're doing all right, girl. <laughs> right. right. You're doing all right. So, yeah, that's definitely part of the way that I nurture myself. And, um, Mother myself being able to ask for help and leaning mm-hmm. into being mothered by others, leaning into being nurtured by others the way that I um, 
I'm always reminding my mama or anybody else, like, yeah, you got to let other people care for you. But I still have to remind myself that. And um, so, yeah, leaning into all the other ways that, leaning into all the ways I can be loved Mm, is so important to me. I love that. Yes, because I feel like every single mother, every single person deserves that. And there are so many ways we can love and be loved. And so, yes, that's what I affirm in in mothering myself and all the younger versions of myself is leaning into all of the ways I can be and be loved. Mm. Yeah. So did you witness or observe your mother mothering herself in any of these ways or how did you come to nurture yourself in this way i this is is such cool questions (laughs) i've definitely watched my mom care for herself craft life a craft craft a life for herself um try new things Mm -hmm. and you know you get to a particular point where you're like oh this is a human this is not just my mother she's a person (laughs) with all kinds of feelings and a life and interiority and all that and all that stuff um i i i imagine she would never say that she That she was mothering herself. That's something that we talk about a lot now. Like, mm-hmm. my my ass will be like, Mom, spend time with your younger self. Love on her like you love me. Like, I know I'll probably be getting on her nerves. <laughs> like, who do you think you are? <laughs> but, but absolutely, I, um... In this moment, I can just say that I think that a lot of how she cared, she cared for me and my brother had to do with her, with her mothering herself in a particular way, mm. making a choice to show up in motherhood in ways that, like, again, she had a wonderful relationship with her grandmother mm-hmm. and her great grandmother and as well as other maternal figures in her life. But the relationship with your mother is obviously um, incredibly important and it was very antagonistic. It was very painful. Mm. Um and my grandmother was not kind and we can certainly particularly as like a historian as an afrofuturist and um just as someone who loves black people want to sit down and hold all the space for why my grandmother who was born in the 1930s into poverty um mm. grew up with all this resentment and you know got married and started having children at 19 and nobody had a name for postpartum depression and mm. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And also she was not kind to her children and she resented them. Um, and it was painful for my mom and her, her brothers. And it is painful now. Um, and all of that, all of that is real. Right. So, (laughs) yeah, but I will say, I also see my mom, um, yeah, really, and just continuing to stand into who it is that she that she is fully, mm-hmm. um, and trying new things, and just be her full self. And that's not new, mm-hmm. but in terms of doing it while it's scary, and um, and the ways that just like you wouldn't, you, there's certainly I guess people you would look at it and you're like, oh, they're never scared, they never have insecurities, which mm-hmm. is a lie. But right. just knowing, just knowing my mom and seeing her being like I like this and I'm gonna do it and I'm gonna try this and I'm gonna be this and mm. 
It's just awesome. She's great. I love her. She's my fave. And uh, so, yeah, definitely, definitely that. I think that we we certainly care for and show up for one another. Um, teach and teach and learn from one another. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, as I. A lot of the ways that I mother myself have to do with how my mother mothered me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So if someone were to come to you for advice on something that they should keep in mind, something that they should hold in their heart as they embark on mothering, what advice would you offer? Whoa. <laughs> okay, I'm going to just go for it. Time is not linear. Mm. That's just something they told us. And to be honest, it's something they told us to uphold patriarchy mm-hmm. and white supremacy and capitalism. Time is not linear. Um, my mother taught me in my early 20s that it was far more like a spiral. Mm. Um but yeah, it's definitely not no straight line. So mm-hmm. that's one. I think um, as someone who um, who cares very much about, about mothering, um, I don't know that I'll have any children of my own, but know that I will. Yeah, I care about I care about the freedom of black people. I care about children. Mm-hmm. I care about sharing the burden of survival. So I think even without having any biological children, I will mother an auntie and even be a grandmother. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. said, I something I'm always trying to do is learn from parents mm-hmm. because it's like I want to know the things. Mm-hmm. And so if there's a thing <laughs> that you're learning, <laughs> you know, there's insight that you have from these relationships. Please share, particularly if they're going to nurture well, nurture wellness in the community, but also so that we can all be pouring into the survival and wellness of, of all of all the children and all of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so something that I think I have been observing and hearing from parents um, and witnessing, particularly with parents of um, children of different ages, is just like parenting teachers do that even in the one relationship your that relationship is going to require a different you at different times yes. mm-hmm. as as that person grows as they change it's not like what they need from you when they're born is what they're going to need from you in a year let alone five mm-hmm. you know let alone like your it, it, it it's a flow and so again obviously i don't have any children but i feel like embracing that could maybe alleviate a lot of pressure mm-hmm. it's less about trying to get it be perfect or or even like now i've got it because it's about to change again so yeah that time is not linear and and the relationship will evolve um as well as just like continuing to have grace for yourself to have grace for yourself and so then you can just show up. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. That's not no easy thing to do. But I feel like those are lessons we can take into every relationship. Yeah. That 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 what what this other person outside of you needs from you might not be the same thing they need from you tomorrow, let alone how it's going what is it going to require for you to to show up for this other person outside of you? Cuz again, those are not small things. Right. <laughs> Whether you gave birth to the person outside of you or it's just another person outside of you, like, 
Right. Relationships are, um, you know, they require they require intention and thoughtfulness and um, and grace. And I think time. I think even time. Yeah, to time to 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 figure out what feels good to you, what doesn't mm-hmm. feel good to you, as well as the grace to know that those things are always subject to change, and that's okay right. too. Right. And those are things to give yourself grace about. Um, as well as holding space for relationships with uh, people you desire to parent or mother, mm-hmm. that um, the relationship can continue to change. Right. And that's healthy. That's okay. God has changed. Yes. Yes, yes. Octavia Butler. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, always. <laughs> yes. I say. So, yes, that's what I am thinking at this time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Our Mother's Gardens. If you want to support the show, you can make a sustaining donation on Patreon by visiting our page, Our Mother's Gardens. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a review. You can also find us on Instagram at Our Mother's Gardens PC. Our Mother's Gardens is a honey bunch of stinkweed production. The podcast features music produced by Bata.